Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. At length. Walter stepped forward and then back, viewing Eleanor's portrait in various lights, and finally spoke. "'Is there not a change?' said he in a doubtful and meditative tone. "'Yes. The perception of it grows more vivid the longer I look. It is certainly the same picture that I saw yesterday. The dress, the features, all are the same, and yet something is altered.' "'Is, then, the picture less like than it was yesterday?' inquired the painter, now drawing near with irrepressible interest. "'The features are perfect, Eleanor,' answered Walter. "'And at the first glance the expression seemed also hers. "'But I could fancy that the portrait has changed countenance while I have been looking at it. "'The eyes are fixed on mine, with a strangely sad and anxious expression. "'Nay!' It is grief and terror. Is this like Eleanor? 
Compare the living face with the pictured one, said the painter. Walter glanced sidelong at his mistress and started. Motionless and absorbed, fascinated, as it were, in contemplation of Walter's portrait, Eleanor's face had assumed precisely the expression of which he had just been complaining. Had she practiced for whole hours before a mirror, she could not have caught the look so successfully. Had the picture itself been a mirror, it could not have thrown back her present aspect with stronger and more melancholy truth. She appeared quite unconscious of the dialogue between the artist and her lover. Eleanor, exclaimed Walter in amazement, what change has come over you? She did not hear him nor desist from her fixed gaze till he seized her hand and thus attracted her notice. Then, with a sudden tremor, she looked from the picture to the face of the original. "'Do you see no change in your portrait?' asked she. "'In mine? None,' replied Walter, examining it. "'But let me see.' "'Yes, there is a slight change. An improvement, I think, in the picture, though none in the likeness. It has a livelier expression than yesterday.' as if some bright thought were flashing from the eyes and about to be uttered from the lips. Now that I have caught the look, it becomes very decided. While he was intent on these observations, Eleanor turned to the painter. She regarded him with grief and awe, and felt that he repaid her with sympathy and commiseration, though wherefore she could but vaguely guess. That look, whispered she and shuddered, how came it there? Madam, said the painter, sadly, taking her hand and leading her apart. In both these pictures I have painted what I saw. The artist, the true artist, must look beneath the exterior. It is his gift, his proudest, but often a melancholy one, to see the inmost soul, and by a power indefinable even to himself, to make it glow or darken upon the canvas, in glances that express the thought and sentiment of years. Would that I might convince myself of error in the present instance. They had now approached the table, on which were heads in chalk, hands almost as expressive as ordinary faces, ivied church towers, thatched cottages, old thunder-stricken trees, oriental and antique costume, and all such picturesque vagaries of an artist's idle moments. Turning them over with seeming carelessness, a crayon sketch of two figures was disclosed. "'If I have failed,' continued he, "'if your heart does not see itself reflected in your own portrait, "'if you have no secret cause to trust my delineation of the other, "'it is not yet too late to alter them. "'I might change the action of these figures, too.' but would it influence the event? He directed her notice to the sketch. A thrill ran through Eleanor's frame. A shriek was upon her lips. But she stifled it with the self-command that becomes habitual to all who hide thoughts of fear and anguish within their bosoms. Turning from the table, she perceived that Walter had advanced near enough to have seen the sketch, though she could not determine whether it had caught his eye. "'We will not have the pictures altered,' said she, hastily. "'If mine is sad, 
I shall but look the gayer for the contrast. Be it so, answered the painter, bowing. May your griefs be such fanciful ones that only your pictures may mourn for them. For your joys, may they be true and deep, and paint themselves upon this lovely face till it quite belie my art. After the marriage of Walter and Eleanor, the pictures formed the two most splendid ornaments of their abode. They hung side by side, separated by a narrow panel, appearing to eye each other constantly, yet always returning the gaze of the spectator. Traveled gentlemen who professed a knowledge of such subjects reckoned these among the most admirable specimens of modern portraiture, while common observers compared them with the originals feature by feature and were rapturous in praise of the likeness. But it was on a third class, neither traveled connoisseurs nor common observers, but people of natural sensibility, that the pictures wrought their strongest effect. Such persons might gaze carelessly at first, but, becoming interested, would return day after day and study these painted lines like the page of a mystic volume. Walter Ludlow's portrait attracted their earliest notice. In the absence of himself and his bride, they sometimes disputed as to the expression which the painter had intended to throw upon the features, all agreeing that there was a look of earnest import, though no two explained it alike. There was less diversity of opinion in regard to Eleanor's picture. They differed, indeed, in their attempts to estimate the nature and depth of the gloom that dwelt upon her face, but agreed that it was gloom and alien from the natural temperament of their youthful friend. A certain fanciful person announced as the result of much scrutiny that both these pictures were parts of one design and that the melancholy strength of feeling in Eleanor's countenance bore reference to the more vivid emotion, or, as he termed it, the wild passion in that of Walter. Though unskilled in the art, he even began a sketch in which action of the two figures was to correspond with their mutual expression. It was whispered among friends that day by day Eleanor's face was assuming a deeper shade of pensiveness, which threatened soon to render her too true a counterpart of her melancholy picture. Walter, on the other hand, instead of acquiring the vivid look which the painter had given him on the canvas, became reserved and downcast, with no outward flashes of emotion, however it might be smoldering within. In course of time, Eleanor hung a gorgeous curtain of purple silk wrought with flowers and fringed with heavy golden tassels before the pictures. Under pretense that the dust would tarnish their hues or the light dim them, it was enough. Her visitors felt that the massive folds of the silk must never be withdrawn nor the portraits mentioned in her presence. Time wore on, and the painter came again. He had been far enough to the north to see the silver cascade of the crystal hills, and to look over the vast round of cloud and forest from the summit of New England's loftiest mountain. 
but he did not profane that scene by the mockery of his art. He had also lain in a canoe on the bosom of Lake George, making his soul the mirror of its loveliness and grandeur, till not a picture in the Vatican was more vivid than his recollection. He had gone with the Indian hunters to Niagara, and there, again, had flung his hopeless pencil down the precipice, feeling that he could as soon paint the roar as aught else that goes to make up the wondrous cataract. In truth, it was seldom his impulse to copy natural scenery, except as a framework for the delineations of the human form and face instinct with thought, passion, or suffering. With store of such, his adventurous ramble had enriched him. The stern dignity of Indian chiefs, the dusky loveliness of Indian girls, the domestic life of wigwams, the stealthy march, the battle beneath gloomy pine trees, the frontier fortress with its garrison, the anomaly of the old French partisan bred in courts but grown gray in shaggy deserts. Such were the scenes and portraits that he had sketched. The glow of perilous moments, flashes of wild feeling, struggles of fierce power, love, hate, grief, frenzy. In a word, all the worn-out heart of the old earth had been revealed to him under a new form. His portfolio was filled with graphic illustrations of the volume of his memory, which genius would transmute into its own substance and imbue with immortality. He felt that the deep wisdom in his art which he had sought so far was found. But amid stern or lovely nature, in the perils of the forest or its overwhelming peacefulness, still there had been two phantoms, the companions of his way. Like all other men around whom an engrossing purpose wreaths itself, he was insulated from the mass of humankind. He had no aim, no pleasure, no sympathies, but what were ultimately connected with his art. Though gentle in manner and upright in intent and action, he did not possess kindly feelings. His heart was cold. No living creature could be brought near enough to keep him warm. For these two beings, however, he had felt in its greatest intensity the sort of interest which always allied him to the subjects of his pencil. He had pried into their souls with his keenest insight and pictured the result upon their features with his utmost skill, so as barely to fall short of that standard which no genius ever reached, his own severe conception. He had caught from the duskiness of the future, at least so he fancied, a fearful secret, and had obscurely revealed it on the portraits. So much of himself, of his imagination and all other powers, had been lavished on the study of Walter and Eleanor, that he almost regarded them as creations of his own, like the thousands with which he had peopled the realms of picture. Therefore did they flit through the twilight of the woods, hover on the mist of waterfalls, look forth from the mirror of the lake, nor melt away in the noontide sun. They haunted his pictorial fancy, 
not as mockeries of life nor pale goblins of the dead, but in the guise of portraits, each with an unalterable expression which his magic had evoked from the caverns of the soul. He could not recross the Atlantic till he had again beheld the originals of those airy pictures. Oh, glorious art! Thus mused the enthusiastic painter as he trod the street. Thou art the image of the Creator's own. The innumerable forms that wander in nothingness start into being at thy beck. The dead live again. Thou recallest them to their old scenes and givest their gray shadows the luster of a better life, at once earthly and immortal. Thou snatchest back the fleeting moments of history. With them there is no past, for at thy touch all that is great becomes forever present, and illustrious men live through long ages in the visible performance of the very deeds which made them what they are. O oh, potent art, as thou bringest the faintly revealed past to stand in that narrow strip of sunlight which we call now. Canst thou summon the shrouded future to meet her there? Have I not achieved it? Am I not thy prophet? Thus, with a proud yet melancholy fervor, did he almost cry aloud as he passed through the toilsome street among people that knew not of his reveries, nor could understand nor care for them. It is not good for man to cherish a solitary ambition, unless there be those around him by whose example he may regulate himself. His thoughts, desires, and hopes will become extravagant, and he the semblance, perhaps the reality, of a madman. Reading other bosoms with an acuteness almost preternatural, the painter failed to see the disorder of his own. "'And this should be the house,' said he, looking up and down the front before he knocked. "'Heaven help my brains! That picture! Methinks it will never vanish! Whether I look at the windows or the door, there it is, framed within them, painted strongly and glowing in the richest tints, the faces of the portraits, the figures and action of the sketch!' He knocked. "'The portraits! Are they within?' inquired he of the domestic. Then, recollecting himself, "'Your master and mistress, are they at home?' "'They are, sir,' said the servant, adding, as he noticed that picturesque aspect of which the painter could never divest himself, "'and the portraits, too.' The guest was admitted into a parlour, communicating by a central door with an interior room of the same size. As the first apartment was empty, he passed to the entrance of the second, within which his eyes were greeted by those living personages, as well as their pictured representatives, who had long been the objects of so singular an interest. He involuntarily paused on the threshold. They had not perceived his approach. Walter and Eleanor were standing before the portraits, whence the former had just flung back the rich and voluminous folds of the silken curtain holding its golden tassel with one hand, while the other grasped that of his bride. The pictures, concealed for months, gleamed forth again in undiminished splendor, appearing to throw a somber light across the room rather than to be disclosed by a borrowed radiance. That of Eleanor had been almost prophetic. 
a pensiveness, and next a gentle sorrow, had successively dwelt upon her countenance, deepening with the lapse of time into a quiet anguish. A mixture of affright would now have made it the very expression of the portrait. Walter's face was moody and dull, or animated only by fitful flashes which left a heavier darkness for their momentary illumination. He looked from Eleanor to her portrait, and thence to his own, in the contemplation of which he finally stood absorbed. The painter seemed to hear the step of destiny approaching behind him, on its progress toward its victims. A strange thought darted into his mind. Was not his own the form in which that destiny had embodied itself, and he a chief agent of the coming evil which he had foreshadowed? Still, Walter remained silent before the picture, communing with it as with his own heart, and abandoning himself to the spell of evil influence that the painter had cast upon the features. Gradually his eyes kindled, while as Eleanor watched the increasing wildness of his face, her own assumed a look of terror, and, when at last he turned upon her, the resemblance of both to their portraits was complete. "'Our fate is upon us!' howled Walter. "'Die!' Drawing a knife, he sustained her as she was sinking to the ground and aimed it at her bosom. In the action and in the look and attitude of each, the painter beheld the figures of his sketch. The picture, with all its tremendous coloring, was finished. "'Hold, madman!' cried he sternly. He had advanced from the door and interposed himself between the wretched beings with the same sense of power to regulate their destiny as to alter a scene upon the canvas. He stood like a magician controlling the phantoms which he had evoked. "'What?' muttered Walter Ludlow as he relapsed from fierce excitement into sullen gloom. "'Does fate impede its own decree?' "'Wretched lady,' said the painter, "'did I not warn you?' "'You did,' replied Eleanor, calmly, as her terror gave place to the quiet grief which it had disturbed. "'But I loved him.' "'Is there not a deep moral in the tale?' Could the result of one or all our deeds be shadowed forth and set before us? Some would call it fate and hurry onward. Others be swept along by their passionate desires, and none be turned aside by the prophetic pictures. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.